Bibles this evening, if you would, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in chapter number 11, and we'll get there in a little while, as I think everyone knows by now, a couple of weeks ago, I started a short series of messages about the devil's dangerous devices, and whenever we talk about that, you, you just got to think that the matter of deception is on the very top of the list, and uh, for good reason. Several years ago, when I was pastoring in Cincinnati, or in, in that area, pastored in Cincinnati for a while, and we moved to church across over in Ludlow, Kentucky, and we had an elderly gentleman uh, uh, in the church. In fact, we picked him up on the church van and brought him there. He, at that time, he was living in a nursing home and had a difficult time getting around, but he was an extremely intelligent man, and it, it was obvious, and uh, he didn't have to tell you, just in conversation, you picked up on that, but I mentioned that because he gave me a book, <laughs> I don't know why, but it was a book that he had uh, really meant something to him about the story of the great Houdini, and uh he just was insistent that I read the story of the great Houdini, and I thought, well, I don't have time for this. But for 25 years or so, Houdini, his name appeared all over the headlines all over the world, and he had the reputation for being the greatest escape artist that, that had ever lived. But then he died in 1926, but his fame lived on, and and become a household word, uh, Houdini. And we think of that, and automatically uh, we think of the powers of deception. David Copperfield came on after that, and several others. I guess Vegas is full of people like that, but people that have become experts at deceiving people. But when it comes to this matter of deception, there's one who stands head and shoulders above everybody else, and that's Satan himself. So let's start by talking about the author of deception because Satan has no rival. He's in a class by himself. He has supernatural power. That doesn't mean he's all-powerful. He's not God. He can't do everything that God can do, but he does have supernatural power, and he uses it to make things appear different than what they really are and that's why the Bible repeatedly warns us. There's so many verses tonight that, that we could make reference to that we don't have time to consider everything. But in 1 Timothy 2.14, Paul tells us about how Satan deceived Eve. And you go back to Genesis chapter 3 in those first six verses, and you read the story of actually how that happened where the Bible describes him there as being subtle, which means that he is crafty. And that means being skillful at deceiving others. And whenever we think about his ability to deceive and all of his, his great deceptive power, again and again we find references to it. And For example, you go over to Revelation chapter 12, and there it speaks about the fact that he deceiveth the whole world. Uh, imagine that. And certainly during the time of the tribulation where Satan is working through the Antichrist. And, and think about it. In the first place, as he's writing to the church at Thessalonica, 
he talks about those that will believe the lie of the Antichrist. Because a lot of folks have thought in their mind, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but if what the preacher said about the Lord coming back, if that ever happens and all of a sudden all of the Christians disappear, I, I, I'll become a believer then. No, you won't. It'll be too late then because the Holy Spirit will cease working on your heart. You'll be indifferent towards spiritual things. But the thing of it is, how do you explain away all of the Christians suddenly disappearing? Well, in some parts of the world, that wouldn't be no big deal because there are not that many Christians. But let's face it, just suppose that everybody in the Houston area that, that know the Lord, that they suddenly disappear. How do you explain that to people? Well, the Bible tells us the Antichrist is going to have an answer for that, and they'll believe the lie of the Antichrist. I mean, that is so amazing to think that Satan has such deceptive power that they will literally believe a lie such as that. Now, notice here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1. Let's start there. And, well, look at verse 3 for time's sake. For I fear lest by any means, now we're going to talk about the different means a bit later on, at least some of them, but by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, uh, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now look at verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their work. So the list of references go on and on and on that the author of deception is Satan. And Jesus made that clear in John chapter 8 and verse 44 where he says that he, Satan, is the father of lies. So this is where it all goes back. And please keep that in mind and the reference I made, uh, I believe it was last week, to the fact that our warfare is a spiritual warfare. It's not against flesh and blood, but rather it is against Satan. And it is Satan who is the instigator of all of this, the very father of lies. So we know that any time that we find deception, we know what the source is. But that brings us to the aim. What in the world is Satan trying to do? Well, if we went back and read Isaiah and Ezekiel and looked back at the uh, information we're giving there, we, we know that Satan would like nothing more than to overthrow God and to assume his place on the throne. Now, we know that, but that's, that's already a done deal. He's out of heaven now. There's no way that that's going to happen. So, so... He attacks God through man. Keep that in mind, that he, when he attacked Eve and Adam, his attack was actually on God. He wanted to discredit God. He had liked to dethrone God. But he attacked the word of God, the will of God, the ways of God, the wisdom of God. And so through his attacks on God, he is involved in, in deceiving man. 
In other words, he is attacking the creator through the creature. And the plan originally was for a complete fall physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so we are affected in absolutely every way as a result of the fall. The first thing he did in the attack against Eve, of course, was to attack the Word of God. He questioned God's Word. Have God said, are you sure you've got that right? In, in other words, he's questioning whether or not Eve got the information correct. Have God said, he questioned the Word of God, he contradicted the Word of God, and the result of that is that Eve begins to change the Word of God. She adds to it and abbreviates from it, and so she begins to change it. Her mind is in a state of confusion because she is deceived at that point. And ever since the fall, Satan has been waging a war, and the war is against the truth. The truth. Remember Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So it's the truth that liberates us from the bondage that is imposed upon us as a result of being sinners. Sinners that are affected physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And uh, his weapon in order to keep us where we are is deception. And that's why when you look over in Ephesians chapter 6, and of course uh, you already know that Paul speaks there about the armor of God and tells us and we're to put on the armor of God. But the very first article that he mentions is what? It's the girdle of truth because that is what binds everything else together. Without the truth, we are absolutely doomed. We don't stand a chance without a knowledge of the truth. And it's in the area of truth that Satan is trying to defeat us. If he can get us to go wrong there, we'll be wrong everywhere. Now, I just got through saying that Satan is attacking God, but he's working through people. So when we think about the agents of deception, understand that we're talking about how the devil uses people. And remember he said, you know, some of his messengers are, well, they, they pretend to be apostles. And they're transformed into angels of light. They, they come on the scene as though they are the very ministers of God. But remember, it's Satan who's the mastermind behind all of this. And he'll use whatever means is necessary, whatever works best. And what will work best for one person might not work best for another person. And so he has several agents of deception. And let's think of some of those. And the, right at the top of the list is religion. There is nothing in this world that is more dangerous, more deceptive than religion. And think about the world in general and the fact that wherever you go, you can go into the darkest corners of the earth and you'll find religion of some sort. And so that means that Satan always has a listening ear just about everywhere in the world. People are religious by nature. Why? Because they know something is missing. They don't know what. They're looking for something. They don't understand what. They don't know that it ought to be Christ. They don't know that, but they're looking for something. They're religious by nature, and Satan takes advantage of that. So the very worst lies, the very worst attack against the truth wraps itself in the garment 
of religion and that's why the Lord gives us so many stern warnings about Satan and, and his attack on the truth. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 26, let no man deceive you. And over and over again, we've been warned. You think about religion today and there's never been so, so many highly educated, let's face it, talented speakers with such charming personalities, and they seem to be able to persuade people to believe almost anything. It, it, it just boggles my mind when I think about how some of these guys can get a following of people when they're teaching something that is so far adrift from the Word of God. I mean, something that ought to be obvious to anyone, and those people are blinded, and sometimes it's the fact, well, you know, after all, he went to seminary, preacher, you didn't. I mean, how in the world could you compare to him? He's got to be more accurate than you are. It might be that somebody that's an extremely talented speaker or, you know, or he's one of these real charming personalities that people just can't resist, and as a result of that, people just flock to him. I, I remember as a boy... And my best friend lived next door to a charismatic church. I won't name the group or anything like that. But being raised where I was, where the international headquarters of the Assemblies of God and also the Pentecostal, both of their national, international headquarters is there in Springfield. So I, I, I've had a lot of contact with people uh, of that persuasion. But he, he lived next door to a, a little charismatic church. And, and in the evening, we could hear them over there. Well, I, I don't know what all they were saying. I, I don't think they did. But I, I, I'll never forget listening to that and wondering what in the world could be going on over there. So one night, and you, you might not believe this, but it is the truth. One night they were having a service. I don't know. It might have been around Halloween. It might have been the first of the year. I have no idea. can't remember the time. But I can tell you this. They were running around, and there was a fellow in a leopard suit hanging over there from the rafters. I, 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 and about that time in my life, I figured, you know, I'm really not all that interested in religion. I don't think there's anything there that concerns me at all but the amazing thing about it is people just flock to that and it's so amazing that people can be so gullible as to believe absolutely anything if you wrap it in the garment garment of religion and just use the name jesus once in a while you know yeah if, if you use the name of jesus why that seems to make all of the air okay and it doesn't if it's wrong it's wrong Paul talked about the fact that there is another gospel. It's not a real gospel, not the true gospel, but it's another gospel. And, and even back then, they had a difficulty of people believing that false gospel. So religion, I believe, is the number one agent that Satan uses. But it doesn't end there. In addition to that, there is the reasoning of highly educated people. I mention that because over the years I've seen so many young people raised in church, people that seem to have a good, you know, a good foundation spiritually, and they go off to college. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they begin to change. 
all of a sudden they begin to deny the truths that they had supposedly embraced all of those years. You see, they get there, and here is some high-toned professor, and believe me, some of those fellows can be quite persuasive. If you listen to some of the debates of some of the, some of the uh, atheists, for example, boy, I'm telling you what, some of those guys, I, I mean, uh, kind, of, kind of like the, the preacher, the woman said to the preacher after church that he must be the smartest man that she had ever, ever heard preach. And boy, he took that as a big compliment. And he said, why do you say that? She just goes, I can't understand a word you say. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of the way it is. You get there under those professors and they can be so impressive that all of a sudden we've got young people raised in church believing in evolution. Why? Oh, because the professor couldn't possibly be wrong about that. He is really well versed in that. Think about the pressure on kids, even before you get to college. Here you've got some kid, his daddy maybe didn't even graduate from high school. Maybe his daddy, you know, his vocabulary is kind of like mine. He mispronounces a lot of words and the were and the was in the wrong places and I know I get that wrong all of the time. I understand that. So maybe you got a dummy daddy like me. And so they go to school, and here is this teacher. And man, he's got it down. He, he can recite history and go back in this year and that year. And this happened and that happened. And we don't even know whether it rained last week or not. And so automatically, they just assume this guy's a whole lot smarter than daddy is. And so they begin to embrace whatever they're being taught there. And as you know today, and thank God there's some exceptions to this, but in a lot of the public schools, they get a heavy dose of evolution and liberalism from the get-go. So there's the reasoning of all of these, uh, these highly educated people. Add to that the rhetoric of those people that have charming personality. I'm not talking about preachers now. I'm talking about just the rhetoric, the people that, 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 that are gifted, as it were, in the art of effectively using language. Language is powerful. And there are people, there are people in the entertainment industry, for example. Hollywood is full of people like that that have that particular gift and they can be so very persuasive all because of the fact that they know what to say how to say it when to say it and, and it can be a lie straight out of hell but they make it sound like that it is the latest greatest best thing and boy I could I could name so many entertainers and some of them over the years have established themselves to the point that they're even at times being urged to run for president and stuff like that. And it's just so amazing to me that people believe that. But then there are other agency that Satan uses. There, there are relationships because sometimes the danger lurks in places that we never suspect. It might be a friend. It could be a classmate. It could be a co-worker. It could be a neighbor. Someone that you never suspect being used by Satan, and, and, and they're not even aware of it, because not all of the false teachers are aware of the fact 
as to what they're doing. Some of them mean well. They're your best friend in school. They are your, the very best neighbor. I mean, they, they're just really nice people and seem to have your best interest at heart. And so they unintentionally lead you astray with their advice. Look, folks, the end result of being misled, the end result of being deceived is the same, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And there are a lot of folks in your relationships that are being used of Satan. And that's why we've got to always be on guard constantly in regards to who we rub shoulders with. And we'll get to that a bit later on in the message. But then, and next to religion, I suspect this has got to be the most dangerous area. And that's relatives. Because after all, when you think about your relatives, they're people that really care about you, you know. And uh, so they surely wouldn't mislead you. And, and look, they might not. They might not, but unintentionally they will mislead you because a lot of folks base their, they base their religion, their, their beliefs on family tradition instead of what the Word of God says. And boy, that's a big problem with just about every religion around the world. Tradition. You go to the Middle East and Jason, having spent those years in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he can tell you from interacting with those people and, and the different tribes being opposed to one another. It's these one clan against the other clan, and you dare not break the tradition of your family. Now, here in America, of course, you know why uh, we're not in, in a system like that, but we have the same problem. Because sometimes people's attitude and their decision about spiritual things is based on what Grandpa believed. Well, Grandpa was a deacon in a Baptist church, and boy, we dare not ever be anything but a Baptist. He'd, he'd roll over in his grave. Or, you know, it's like I keep making mention of my friend who said it's against my religion to change my religion. And he said, we're taught that from the time that we start in the school, you know. And so, and, and of course, that group's famous for saying, give us a child by the age of five or six, and, and you'll never change them after that. And there's a lot of truth to that. And believe me, they pound that in their head. So just because somebody is a relative does not mean that they're your best friend. It doesn't mean you ought to take their advice. So there's all of these different agents and things that I can't even think of, things that I can't even imagine that Satan might use. But we need to think about the different areas of temptation also because one size doesn't fit all when it comes to temptation. You know, as I said last week, everybody's not tempted in the same way. What is appealing to one person is repulsive to another person. And Satan knows that. And we could make a list of all of the different things that could be mentioned. But just looking at the subject in general, you know, Satan will try to convince you that you can sin and get by with it. Yeah, you'll be the exception to the rule. Nobody will find out. Go, go, go ahead and do it. It'll be a lot of fun, and it might even be really profitable. Yeah, that, that's a lie that a lot of people have bought into. And then he, he'll persuade people to procrastinate. 
you know, they hear the gospel message and all of a sudden they're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the devil says, you know, that's all right if you want to believe that, but right, right now is not a good time. You're all emotional right now. Just go ahead and leave the service and get out of here and uh, give you time to think of it. Just procrastinate, put it off. And look, even within the church, I'm talking about good people, dedicated people in the church, Satan often works on us in ways that we can't even imagine. For example, he'll cause people to imagine things that are not true. Imagine things that are not true. I've told the story many times about a fellow by the name of Ray Skiffer. He's a pastor over in the eastern part of the country now. But Ray was a Bible college student back years ago when I first met him in the church where I was saved. And uh, I'd surrendered to preach. Ray was going to Bible college. And we walked down the aisle. And for some reason, we couldn't stand to look at each other. We wouldn't, we did, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't shake hands. We did walk by each other. So one day, we got our heads together. What in the world is wrong? What have I done to, to offend you? Why don't you like me? And come to find out, neither one of us had done anything. And, Neither one of us really disliked the other person. It was a misunderstanding because Satan had convinced both of us that the other one, you know, didn't really like us, didn't really, you know, like me. So if you don't like me, I don't like you. In other words, Satan will persuade you to believe things that are not true. He'll use your imagination. And generally, it's easier for him to persuade us to believe the worst about a person than the best. Isn't that what we do? Well, so-and-so's not in church today. Yeah, man, I, I tell you, they better get their heart right with God or God's going to kill them. I, I, look, believe me, I know what I'm talking about here because I've been guilty of this. We don't, we don't give them the benefit of the doubt, and Satan doesn't want us to. It might be they're sicker than a dog, and they just can't, they can't be there. And so... Don't let Satan work in your life and deceive you about others. Love thinketh no evil. And we ought to give others the benefit of the doubt. He causes us to question the love or the motives or the sincerity of other people. And, um, boy, that's so dangerous. Somebody, especially, that's got a really good singing voice, and then, and then if they're the kind, you know, that maybe, they, maybe they're emotional it might even be, God forbid, while they're singing, they raise their hand or close their eyes and sway to the music. And automatically, Satan will put it in his ball there trying to put on a show. That just makes me sick. They're just showing off. Now, look, I'll be the first to tell you that sometimes that, we all know sometimes that happens, but don't you dare ever judge somebody on that basis because you don't know the motive of their heart. It might, might be that they're just putting their heart in what they're doing and, and, and don't judge his motives and the sincerity of, of other people. But if we could just put all of this together in one ball of wax, I think what we could, we, we could uh, say is that Satan is launching his attack through these various agents in all of these different areas against the truth, but it's in opposition to the will of God. That's what it's all about right there. 
anything to stifle the will of God in our life, anything to turn us aside, anything that will bring us down and destroy our effectiveness. But for the sake of us tonight really understanding how serious this is, I want to talk to you about four areas of deception. And, and, and this happens all of the time. The first one, turn in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5. The first area has to do with the coming of Christ. And Paul says, let no man deceive you. Now remember, it's Satan that's working behind the scenes, but he's using men. Let no man deceive you by any means. We've been talking about those different means that he might use. Don't let it happen. Don't let him deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. Now he's talking about the coming of the Lord. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now I'm not going to the end of the difference between the coming of the Lord at the rapture and his coming at the end of the rapture. That's for another study and I'm not going into detail and in what is Paul is speaking about here. Just understand he's talking about the coming of the Lord and the issue the issue that is before us that there will be those trying to trying to deceive us and he said that's not going to happen until this happens you see there are a lot of people that are confused about about the truth of his coming they just can't believe something that is seemingly so far-fetched as all of a sudden trumpets going to sound and we Christians are all going to hear it and the Lord's going to come in the clouds of the air we're going to be called up to meet him up there and we're going on to heaven get glorified bodies they just can't bring themselves to believe something like that. They deny the truth of it. But I love what Paul said there in Hebrews when it says concerning the promise of the Lord, he that shall come will come. Amen. He that shall come will come. There's not any doubt about it. And Jesus made that clear in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11 just before he's ascending back into heaven. And he gave them this promise, I will come again. We have that wonderful promise, the wonderful assurance that our Lord is going to come. So some are deceived about the truth of the coming. Some are deceived about the time of his coming. And, 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 and there are fellows that have written books about the fact that, well, you know, I found the secret. I am so deep in the scriptures and the spirit of God has revealed to me that this means that and that means this and I put it all together and I've written a book about it, people. And if you'll make any contribution over $29.95, I'll give you a copy of that book. You can go home with that book tonight. <laughs> Believe me, they do that. And it'll tell you when the Lord's going to come. Some folks over in Arkansas several years ago, they believed one of those false teachers. And at a certain appointed time, all of the members of that church got left the house, went out on top of their house, and they're standing there on top of their house waiting for the Lord to come. Well, the clock struck and the time passed and the Lord didn't come. And they're standing down there on top of, on top of the house wondering what in the world's going on. 
Well, if you had read your Bible, you would know the day and the hour knoweth no man. He's coming as a thief in the night. We don't know when he's coming. He could come now, right now, before I finish, or he could come tomorrow. We just don't know. Don't be deceived about the coming of Christ. Secondly, don't be deceived about your conduct. Galatians 6, 7, Paul says, be not deceived, right? Don't be deceived. Why? Because you'll reap what you sow. Be not deceived, you reap what you sow. And again and again, we find that same warning that has to do with our, with our conduct. The same devil that deceived Eve deceives us in regards to our conduct, that it's not that big of a deal. I know I'm a Christian. I know the preacher preaches against it. I know the Sunday school teacher said that it was wrong. Maybe I ought not to do it, but really, I don't see anything really wrong with that. I'm right in the middle of a big, long article that I'm writing about that. I don't see anything wrong with it. I've been listening to that for so many years. I'm going to write an article about it, and I'll be sending that out, Lord willing. And uh, it's pitiful that people have made up their mind about what is right and wrong. And I had a preacher. Brother Kenneth knows who I'm talking about, and I haven't shared this with everyone, but this was a preacher, and I... I remember when this fellow was was working a day job and had his own business. And I remember I preached a revival, and he surrendered to preach and uh, pastored several churches since then. And one day I learned the fact that this guy had left his wife. I, I knew his wife well uh, over years and years. I knew I knew his children and those boys, and I had gone fishing with this man. And, uh, and I, I just, I, I couldn't leave it alone. I thought, I've got to do something. And I, so I went there, and I, I asked him, I said, Brother, what in the world is going on? What has happened? And he told me that he had met this woman, and uh, they were in love. And he said, he said, uh, Brother Stone, he said, I know what I'm doing is wrong. But he said, he said, in fact, I, just to be honest, he said, I'm, I'm just a bit angry with God about it. I asked God to help me not love that woman, and he hadn't changed my love for her. What? Really? He's trying to blame God now. How sad it is for him to sit there and to say, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself and God won't change me. I'm going to go with it. He got a divorce and married this other woman. What a sad story of people that, that think, I guess, think they can get by with stuff like that. Your conduct matters. When you claim to be a child of God, that's serious business and your conduct matters. Somebody says, well, it's nobody's business but mine. What I do is no one else's business. Oh, yeah, it's God's business. It's God's, and he's paying attention, by the way. So don't be deceived in, in, in the area of our Lord's coming. Don't be deceived in the area of your conduct. Don't be deceived in the area of your company. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Not everybody's going to like everything that I'm about to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, 
Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. That word communications there doesn't have anything to do with your talk, it has to do with your walk, your manner of life, how you live, your conduct, the company that you keep. And he says here that notice that evil communications corrupt good manners. Now look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And boy, does it ever get down to the nitty-gritty here. Chapter 6, verse number 14. And Paul says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what uh, part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, that, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now one other verse, Romans chapter number 16. Romans chapter 16, I want you to look at just one verse here, verse 18 of chapter 16. And again, the same issue. It says, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ with their own belly, and by their good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. All of this has to do with the company that we keep like sam jones the old preacher many years ago said if you lay down with the dogs you'll get up with the fleas and that's right the company you keep will have an effect upon you and paul is urging the church there at corinth and the people the members to be not unequally yoked together that's why that we believe around here that the believer and the unbeliever the the for example, you go back to young people, and, and as far as that goes, there shouldn't be any dating. If the, person, if the person is an unbeliever, you have no business as a Christian dating that. For you say, well, it's not marriage. Well, then why are you dating them? Because dating is part of the process that leads up to you deciding who eventually you're going to marry. So be not unequally yoked together. A believer ought to marry a believer. That doesn't mean we think we're better than they are. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that we ought to act like we're better than they are. We ought to love them. We ought to be kind. But we don't want to develop the kind of relationship with unbelievers that's going to hinder our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's an area that Satan uses in order to, to destroy people. We, we hear... You know, in regards to young people, we use the word or the phrase peer pressure a lot. Well, the peer pressure just got to them. Well, listen, peer pressure is real. It is a real thing. It's a tough thing. And, 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 and believe me, when we think about those young people especially, I guess it starts in, I don't know, nowadays, maybe before junior high, but boy, by high school, it is full-blown. You've got this group and that group, and if you're not in with one of the groups, you're just out. You're a nobody. Nobody wants anything to do with you. Well, what kid wants to go to school when they feel like that? And so eventually, eventually, sadly, most of the time, those young people will hook up with some group that they shouldn't be a part of. 
and they'll run with this gang or that gang and it'll ultimately lead their, to their destruction. But peer pressure is not just a problem for kids. Peer pressure is a problem for everybody. You know, the people that are trying to compete in the world and boy, they want to get to the top rung of the social ladder. They want to be a somebody. They want their name in lights or in the headlines. And as a result of that, they run with the crowd that ultimately will destroy them. I almost used a story, a true story, and I might do it later on. I thought it was a little bit too long for my morning man of devotion uh, about uh, the woman that married Otto Preninger, who was uh, famous in Hollywood, and it talked about uh, her life and uh, the path that she took. Well, she, when she married him, she thought, boy, this is going to get me where I want to be finally. And boy, it was off to Hollywood they go. And seemingly, boy, they've got the world by the tail on the downhill swing. And all of a sudden, she began to realize what a, what a phony, phony world that is. Yeah. And wanted out of it. Look, folks, it's so sad that so many good people have been deceived and start running with the crowd that they think will get me where I want to be. And it ends up going down a path of destruction. Now there's one more that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Because this is at the top of the list of those areas where Satan wants to deceive us. And that has to do with our conversion. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And then we'll turn to 1 John. 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? That's not a very popular statement, is it? Now, he's talking about the unrighteous, and he knows that our mind's in gear. We're wondering who in the world is he talking about. Well, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, boy, I'm telling you what, that leaves out a lot of people in the world today. Now look in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter number 3, and boy, this ought to cause a lot of folks to sit up and take notice. I'm not saying you. I don't know about you, but I'm saying that based on what you see in the world today among professing Christians, this ought to get the attention of a lot of them. Verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 7, little children. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, Christ, is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, 
for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Let me stop there a minute, because I, maybe there's someone here that you've never studied this. You, you're thinking, what? If you've been born of God, you never commit sin, so all of a sudden, after salvation, we enter into a state of sinless perfection. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about sin here in the habitual sense. That is, they don't continue in that sin they don't continue down that road down that path they're not habitually enslaved to sin look the same letter here the same author john says if we say we have no sin we're a liar and the truth is not in us we all do sin but christians do not live habitually in the bondage of sin that's the point now verse 10 in this in in this in what he just said in the verses I read, in this the children of God are manifest. They're made known. They're revealed. By their fruit ye shall know them. You can tell they're a Christian because of the fruit. But notice he said, and the children of the devil. They're also manifest or made known. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Wow doesn't get any more blunt than that and it doesn't get any more important than that the sad sad thing is is we have a multitude of people in the world today that really with all of their heart believe that everything is all right between them and God they really think they're saved. They would argue with you. I know I'm saved. Oh, I remember the time. Yeah, I walked down the aisle of the church that day. Walking down the aisle of the church doesn't save you. And by the way, when you got saved, you might have prayed, but prayer alone doesn't save you. We're saved by grace through faith. It's through faith, our belief, our trust in the Lord. Matthew chapter 7, and I'll be through. Chapter 7, verse 21. These are the people I'm talking about. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Oh, I, I could camp out there for a while because I can't read that without thinking about certain different, and there's more than one, different denominations. Because they're still talking about prophesying when the gift of prophecy in reality is, doesn't exist now. Not since the completion of God's Word. They're still talking about their prophecies, and they talk about casting out devils. And he said, in thy name done many wonderful works. All sounds pretty good. But notice, and remember this is the Lord speaking, and then, and then, after all of that's been said, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice he didn't say, I used to know you, but you've departed from the faith. 
I used to know you, but you fell into some horrible, terrible, awful sin, and you brought reproach to my name, and now I don't want anything to do with you. He says, I never knew you. These people never were saved. It's not that they lost their salvation. They had never been saved, and believe me, there are a lot of people in that same spot today. They, they are religious in everything they do. Remember, he said, this is in the name of the Lord. Lord, Lord, look at what we've done. Not a one of them said, Lord, Lord, I'm not depending on what I've done. I'm depending on the blood of your son. Not one of them said that. If they had said that and meant that from the bottom of their heart, the Lord would have said, come on in, my child, welcome home. They're boasting about what they had done. And the Lord said, I, I, I never knew you. Does he know you tonight? We, you know, we talk a lot about, I'm glad I know the Lord. But the most important thing about that is, does the Lord know you? Does the Lord know you? He knows those who know him. He knows those who trust him. Does the Lord know you? If he doesn't, then you're not one of his children. And if you don't know the Lord, he's willing, to, he's willing to accept you if you'll accept his son and the sacrifice that he offered. I wonder if anyone's here tonight that's in that very condition. You, you might be, I was a pastor before. I, I never dreamed that Bev wasn't saved. My land, she, even when we started dating, even drug me off the church, I I, boy, I thought she's a religious nut. She's got these little pins they put on for attending Sunday school. She's, I got saved, and I thought, man, she's a good Christian. She, she, she was a better pastor's wife as an unsaved woman than I've seen some pastor wives, believe me, a whole lot better. And that's a tough job when you've got to be a pastor's wife and you haven't even been saved and having one kid after another. Uh, you know, that's a tough job. And then that day we come home that night from the revival meeting the guy preached on John 3:16. I was complaining I know some of you've heard this bear with me some haven't and I started complaining I thought that's a strange message I boy, a revival meeting I wanted somebody to get up there and romp and stomp and spit and sputter really tear into sin and he just preached about Jesus on the cross she didn't say anything, and I thought, well, she knows enough. You know, you're not supposed to criticize preachers. And here was I, a preacher, criticizing another preacher. I went to bed, and uh, in a little while, uh, she woke me up crying. And I didn't know what to say other than what in the world is wrong. And she said, I'm not saved. Boy, that was a wonderful night. I think about that old song, Once in the Stillness. Of the late midnight hour, I felt the presence of the Lord's saving power. And she fell on her knees that night, and there she put her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and never had to wonder about it since then. And there just might be somebody here tonight. Everybody thinks you're saved. You put on a good front. You're a good person. Everybody loves you but you've never really been saved. Wouldn't this be a great time for you to come clean and say, Lord, I'm through with all of this pretense. The devil's deceived me long enough. I'm, going, I'm putting my trust in Jesus tonight. Would you do that? Tim, come on. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a verse of invitation.
And if you're not saved tonight, we beg you to come. If you're here and you've been saved, and it might be that Satan, in some way, by some means, he's gotten the advantage over you, and you just want to come tonight and say, Dear God, deliver me from this bondage that I found myself in. Set me free from the deceptive power of Satan. While we sing together, you come.